Chapter 33 of Tracked by a Tattoo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Tracked by a Tattoo by Fergus Hume. Chapter 33 How and Why the Deed Was Done. The Evidence of Mrs. Boazoff. My name is Madeline Gary. I was born in the village of Damington, where my father lived for years after his retirement from the Navy. I have one sister, Jane, now Mrs. Comer, of Taxton-on-Thames. We lost our mother at an early age, and, being without maternal care, we grew up to be rather more independent than most young women. Jane was always much quieter than I, and she was not considered so beautiful. Yes, I am now an old woman, and can speak without vanity. I was considered very beautiful in my youth, and I had many lovers who wished to marry me. Luke Fielding especially was in love with me, but I refused to marry him, as in my turn I was in love with Sir Francis Fellinger. He had then lately given up the sea on his ascension to the title, but still retaining his pleasure in his old profession he was accustomed to visit my father, and the two would talk over naval matters together. At first, he came solely for these chats, but afterwards he came because he was in love with me. Had I played my cards well, I might have been Lady Fellinger, but in my love and weakness I trusted too much to his honour, and I learned too late that he had none. He had promised to make me his wife, but he afterwards told me that the fortunes of his family were at a low ebb, that if he did not make a rich marriage he should be forced to sell the hall. He swore that he loved no one but me, and said that although he married another woman I should always be his real wife. Again I yielded to his cunning and held my peace about his villainy. Nay more, to hide his wickedness I married my old admirer Luke Fielding, almost at the same time that Francis brought home Miss Darmer to take the place which should have been mine. I should have been Lady Fellinger and not that puling minx. Afterwards I discovered that he loved her, loved her, the villain, after all the lies he had told to me. I swore to be revenged, and I told him so. Then my husband died, and I was left penniless, as Luke had been trying to increase his fortune by speculation. I became a mother, and the son born of me had the right to call Sir Francis Fellinger father. In my destitution I went back to my father, and nursed my boy, while I watched events at the hall. There the punishment of Francis had already begun. His wife, for whose sake he had forsaken me, died at the birth of her son. So matters stood. The two children, both of Francis Fellinger, although but one was acknowledged, had been born within a few days of one another. A nurse was wanted at the hall. I required money, and I saw an opportunity of working out my revenge by changing the children. I insisted that I should come to the hall as the nurse of the heir. Francis resisted, until I swore to reveal all his villainy. Then he yielded, and I attained my end. I was established at Mere Hall as the nurse of the heir, and my child, Edward Fielding, falsely so called, was in the nursery with me. The two children lay side by side in the cradle. I could have changed them then, but I was unable to do so with safety for, guessing my purpose, 
Francis had marked his son with the St. Catherine's cross, which he had long before pricked on my arm. I could not, therefore, change the children with safety while Francis lived, and I began to think that I should not succeed in my revenge. Then the powers above us intervened. Francis, while driving home one stormy night, was thrown out of his dog-cart and killed. I saw my opportunity and I took it. Nobody knew of the tattooed cross on the skin of the real heir save myself and Dr. Binjoy, who had been attending on both children. He was in love with me, and I made him promise to be silent. When I had secured his promise, which I did by saying that I would marry him, I changed the children. In the cradle of the heir I placed my own child, and with the son of my rival I left the village. I never intended to marry Binjoy, whom I hated, and when I fled he was forced to hold his tongue, lest he should be accused of complicity in the abduction. I went to London, but my money came to an end. I travelled to the Isle of Wight, where my sister was staying. She had left Ryde, I found out, and had gone to Scotland. I had no money, I was hungry and perishing with cold, when I was rescued by that good Samaritan, the vicar of Fairview. He wished to adopt the child, and, as I hated it, as being the son of my rival in the affections of Francis, I let him take it. Then I went to London, afterwards to Scotland, where I lived with my sister, who married Mr. Comer. Later on I became the wife of a drunken and wealthy brute called Bryant. Then came misfortune. My sister's husband lost his money and died of broken heart. She took her little girls, Emma and Anne, and set up in Taxton-on-Thames as a dressmaker. I came south with my husband. He lost his money also, but he was set up by his friends in the Red Star Public House in Tooley's Alley. We took the name of Mr. and Mrs. Boazoff so as to cut off all links with our former lives. My husband drank, and ultimately he died of drink. As Mrs. Boazoff, I carried on the business and drifted into evil ways. I assisted thieves and rogues. If you wish to know my history for twenty years, ask the police. They will tell it to you. My sister had become paralytic and never knew me as Mrs. Boazoff. To her I was Mrs. Bryant, living on the little money left to me by my good husband. I hope she may die in that belief, so that I may retain at least one person's respect. All this time I had watched the fortunes of the two children. The false Sir Gregory had grown up to be a wicked young man, fast and dissolute. The true Sir Gregory, passing under the name of Edward Hersham, had become a journalist, and was reported steady and clever. Dr. Binjoy had left Damington, and was living at Taxton-on-Thames with Lewis, the son of Michael Fellinger. Then my niece Emma came to London to enter a dressmaker's establishment. She found out the truth about my life and told her sister. I asked them to keep the knowledge from their mother. Binjoy also found out where and how I was living. He used to come up to town and stay at Dr. Turner's or with me as Dr. Renshaw, hoping by a feigned name to hide the iniquitous life he led while in town. He wanted to oust my son and get Sir Lewis to hold the Fellinger estates. I refused to let him do this and threatened to produce the real heir should he attempt to do so. Young Vaud used to come to my hotel. He saw Emma and fell in love with her. I was glad of this, 
as I knew that the young fellow was good and true, much better than my wretched son, for whom I had sinned. Vaud became engaged to Emma. He went to Taxton-on-Thames and saw my sister. She gave her consent to the match. All was going well, when Emma, who had become acquainted with my son, the false Sir Gregory, went off with him to Paris. He married her and neglected her. She destroyed herself, as was confessed to me by the valet Robert, a dog of a creature. I was distracted when I learned all this. I went to my sister and I told her that the false Sir Gregory was my son. I returned to town to find that young Vaud was seriously ill. Afterwards he was sent on a sea voyage, and he went over to Paris when he got back to rescue Emma from my miserable son. She was dead and he returned to see if he could take revenge on her murderer. He told me that he would kill Sir Gregory, but I thought that it was an idle threat. Afterwards I saw nothing more of him for some time. My sister asked for the address of Sir Gregory, as she wanted a photograph of Emma which had been taken at Taxton-on-Thames. When I went to Gregory's rooms in Half Moon Street to tell him the truth, I saw the photograph. I wrote on it, the date of the birth and death of his victim. I told him about the tattooed cross, and how I could prove that he was not the real Sir Gregory, because he had not that mark on his arm. He did not believe me, and turned me out of his rooms, me, his mother. At that moment I hated him for his likeness to his father, who had wronged me. But I could not harm him. I went to Taxton-on-Thames. I said nothing. I wrote on an envelope the address of Sir Gregory and gave it to my sister, so that she could write to him for the photograph, on the back of which I had written. All this took place before the murder. Then Gregory came to my hotel on the evening of the twenty-first of June. I did not see him, but I saw Vaud, who entered afterwards, disguised as a black man. I recognized him at once and asked him why he was dressed up like the servant of Binjoy. He said it was to play a trick on the doctor, who was in the inner room waiting to see him. I believed him, although I thought his behavior strange. But I know that he had not been quite right in his head since his illness, so that I thought his dressing up was a freak and let him pass into the inner room, where I presumed he was about to see Binjoy. I went back to my own room and never dreamt that the supposed doctor was my son in disguise. Had I known, I would not have left the half-crazed Vaud go into him, knowing how he hated my son as the destroyer of Emma. I know nothing more. I saw Binjoy later on. I asked him if he had seen Vaud. He said no, that he had just come to the hotel. I went into the inner room and found my son dead. I did not know how he died till Binjoy told me about the blood poisoning. Then I sent for the police, and Mr. Fanks arrived. I saw the grains of gunpowder. I thought they were the evidence of some drug which had destroyed my son. I got rid of them by pulling off the tablecloth. I did not tell the truth or speak out, because I was afraid of being inculpated in the crime. My character was so bad that I knew the police would have no mercy if they thought I was mixed up in the murder. I did not want to disgrace my sister or let her know my real life, my feigned name. I afterwards went down to Mere Hall and saw Binjoy. 
I said I would put the rightful heir in his own place and oust Lewis. Binjoy said if I did he would tell my story, and that with his evidence I would be accused of the murder. I therefore held my tongue. I could not bring back my son to life. He had treated me badly, and I did not want to get Vaud into trouble, as I knew that he was mad with grief and rage, and was not responsible for his actions. On the whole, I thought it best to hold my tongue, and for the above reasons I did so. I have now spoken because Edward Hersham, the rightful heir, is accused of the crime. He has suffered enough injustice, and I do not wish to see him hanged. Binjoy can tell his own story of how he came to the hotel on that night and met with Mr. Fanks. Vaud can confess, if he will, as to how he plotted and carried out the crime. For myself, I have said all I have to say. What is set down here is the truth. I am deeply sorry for my evil ways, but I am paying for my follies with my life. All I ask is for forgiveness and forgetfulness. I have sinned. I am punished. All good Christians pray for the soul of a wicked but deeply wronged woman. Signed, Madeline Bryant, better known as Louisa Boazoff. End of chapter 33